if you can free up some of the traditional way of doing things for something new and more adaptive to the way society is moving, that will allow you to really devote your time to working on some of those strategies that really need to happen to get the organization to move in its strategic direction. Welcome to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast, where IT and digital leaders from around the world talk about their careers, their inspiration, and their vision for the future of digital business. I'm your host, David Wright. The world of digital business is evolving faster than ever, and I want this to be a place where digital business champions create a village to band together and help each other navigate the ever-changing terrain. Disruptive Innovators features conversations with CIOs and digital leaders from around the world, diving into their personal backstory, career, their current role, trends they've been seeing, and their vision for the future, personally, professionally, and otherwise. This podcast is made for people who are seeing how quickly the digital business landscape is evolving. Those who recognize that it takes a village of trusted advisors to navigate this ever-changing terrain. People who enjoy listening to high-level discussions surrounding what it means to be a leader, real-world examples of challenges faced, and industry-specific strategies leveraged to create exceptional business outcomes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net. Good afternoon, friends. David Wright here, and I am your host of the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. Today, I am lucky enough to be joined by Maria Russo. Maria, it's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you for having me. I'm excited about it. Of course. Yeah, of course, of course. For those of our listeners who may not know, can you tell everyone a little bit about your current role? Yeah, I'm the chief information officer here at OU Health in Oklahoma City. So I'm responsible for all of the function of the IT organization. That includes all the applications. We're a healthcare organization. So we have Epic and responsible for all of that, all of our applications, technology, infrastructure, our PMO. We have a very exhaustive list of things that we're responsible for. And of course, the customer service to make sure everything runs smoothly on an ongoing basis. Yeah, it's a lot. And I couldn't help but notice that Epic UGM, you guys were acknowledged for your stars. So congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, we're really proud of that. It's been a long time coming for us. We went through the implementation during the COVID era So that really means a lot to this organization to have gone through the implementation over years. And then it's just really empowering for the organization to be recognized at the first shoot out of the gate. Of course, those lifts are heavy ones. So again, kudos. Maria, I want to get into just a little bit more about you as an executive Before we do, we just like to start the episode with one piece of actual advice you might look to leave our listeners with today. Find yourself a mentor, somebody who can help you do something, meet your goals. They can provide advice to you. They can help navigate you as you go through your career and then pay it forward. After you've been mentored, take the opportunity and mentor somebody else. 
it's rewarding on both ends. And so I think that's some good actionable advice that can really help you as you move through your career. Yeah, I love that advice that I practice for sure. So Maria, let's talk a little bit about your trajectory as an executive. So how did you start out and how did you get to be the CIO of a renowned health system? I started my career at Arthur Anderson. I learned healthcare from the ground up there. It was just happened that I was in the healthcare, actually the consulting arm of Arthur Anderson way back in the 80s. And then just happened to be assigned to a healthcare project. And I have been in healthcare ever since. So I spent five and a half years with Anderson and then had the opportunity to go to First Consulting Group and did more strategic work. Anderson was more implementations. And then after being at First Consulting Group for a couple of years, had the opportunity to go to Ernst & Young. And I spent 11 years at Ernst & Young implementing systems and then got into outsourcing. And while I was there, the last half of my consulting time at Ernst & Young, I went into the outsourcing arm and became outsourced as a chief information officer for an organization that bought some facilities. So actually, Tenet bought some facilities in Philadelphia. And I did that for four years. And that's when I decided I was going to be a CIO at some point in time in the future. And then I progressed on to going to Deloitte and spent a couple of years at Deloitte and then actually got my first opportunity to be a CIO in Louisville, Kentucky at Jewish Hospital and St. Mary's Healthcare. And they were subsequently purchased by CHI and turned into Kentucky One Health. And that's how most people will know them now. And then after all the purchasing from the CHI, I had an opportunity to be the CIO at Tanner Health System. Spent almost, I think, three and a half years there and then had the opportunity to go to Kaiser Permanente in Northern California. And I spent three years as their executive director working with their product is called Health Connect and supporting Epic in the Northern California region. And then got wooed away by a school of medicine in Washington University as their CIO for their school of medicine really stumbled upon my opportunity here for OU Health. And that opportunity turned out to be just amazing. I've been here almost three years and it's been a great journey, learned a great deal. And it's really exciting to be part of an organization that's truly the only academic medical center in the state. And so that's my trajectory to that. Yeah. It's always great to meet the executives, CIOs that had that experience as consultants, because I feel like you get to work with so many different types of organizations and different situations and different types of people. And it just, it seems, right, I'm not a CIO, it seems that, that it, it serves to help in leading and, and inspiring folks and handling difficult situations. And so pretty cool. Yeah, that's very true. Because when you're consulting, you show up at a client site, you have to figure out how to get something done in an environment you have no idea what it's all about. So as you move through your career, having that skill, being able to do that really helped. And I also believe that having that healthcare, health information, technology background and implementing EMRs also prepared me for especially my role here at OU Health, because the first thing I was charged with when I got here was to do that, to help get our EPIC project live. Having that background really, really helped me understand 
what that entailed and what it meant for this organization. And to your first point, particularly in that no two academic health systems are the same. I feel like that world in particular is just state by state, institution by institution. There's just all sorts of different caveats and rules and nuances. So I'm sure that there was a learning curve there. So Maria, super interesting kind of journey. What would you say is one of the most important things that you learned over the course of your life, in your career, personally and or professionally? And what was life like before learning it and after learning it? The most important thing I learned was about people and the people aspect of the work and your life. Understanding that you can't get things done by yourself all the time. Even though you might want to do that, you can't do that. It's really important to understand how to voice all the things that are really good and all the things that are good that are happening in your life, as well as in your job and touting yourself, like having a brand and owning that brand. And I think that is what I've learned as I traveled through my life. And before knowing that, it was more an expectation of, how is I going to get promoted? I thought just working and doing a good job, that's how I was going to get promoted. But it's more than that. It's also people understanding your ability to interact with others and interact with difficult personalities and then taking that interaction. And it's not about, I always felt like I was going to be so conceited if I said I did something great, but I didn't, you know, I learned over time that it's not about that. It's a fact you did something great. You deployed something, you led something, and you can still be humble and modest as you go through that and tout that and socialize why you are a good fit for a specific role. It's like interviewing for every single role in your organization without leaving the organization. You're constantly interviewing for your job. I think after learning all that, I felt much more comfortable in my role and in my shoes. And that does bleed over into your personal life because you take those interpersonal skills and you interact. I have a child, I have a son who's now 24, Matthew, and interacting with him is all about the interpersonal skills that I have with him. And certainly the same with my husband, Tim. It's just how you bleed that over into your personal life that kind of helps you manage your relationships both personally and professionally. 100%. I definitely identify with that. What about a time that you were challenged or that you had failed, but you really took away a profound lesson leading out of those events. Is there a time that sticks out in your mind that you might be able to share with us? Yeah, there's lots of those. Unfortunately, I find that I learned the most by failing. You know, I would say during COVID, our project here at OU Health for our Epic implementation started a little bit before I joined. And then when I joined, COVID hit. It was very difficult to understand how we were going to get this project done. I was new. People were looking at me like, you own it and you have to make it happen. That was a very difficult time because there were times when I felt, wow, I think this is, I'm failing. I cannot get this done. There's supply chain issues. There's personnel issues. There's People were here on site and now they're not on site. How do you make a project work that way? The good news is we were able to figure it out. And as you mentioned earlier, we really had a very successful go live. There were times it was very, I felt, oh gosh, how are we going to get this over the hump? How are we going to make this work? 
but perseverance and understanding that, you know, I had to set expectations. We were going to have some pauses and we were going to have some changes to our timeline, which if I was a little bit younger in my career, I probably would have set, been nervous and afraid to actually communicate that. And even where I was in my career and learning about, it's not about that. It's about making sure people knew there were no surprises. And so that's how we got through it. And it took us a little longer than we had anticipated, but we, it was really worth the end result. I love that you brought up the managing of expectations because it lends itself to customer experience, right? And thinking me as an IT executive, thinking of my colleagues as customers and how my, so like the customer service organizations that I gravitate towards the most, they do a really good job of communication and managing expectations. So for example, with Delta, before I'm getting on the plane, they're sending an email. They're like, hey, this is what to expect on the flight. This is the type of aircraft. This is what you'll have access to. If the flight's delayed, they're texting. It's in the app. I might be slightly annoyed that the flight is delayed, but my expectations are managed and I know what to expect. That alleviates a lot of angst. And I agree, as an executive, I have to get comfortable in delivering news that if I had a magic wand and I wanted to be a different way, obviously I would, but it's my responsibility to properly manage expectations. And also, I can only control what I can control. Getting all worked up over things that are like, a worldwide pandemic, right? Like it was awful. And there are so many things to be concerned about above and beyond technology rollout. There's only so much you can do. And yeah, I have to put my attention towards, okay, what can we do to move through this rather than getting caught up in the fear of what are people going to think? That kind of thing. Yeah. It's just a good example. Thank you. Yeah. I find that managing expectations is one of the key success factors for an executive. You have to be able to manage upward and you also have to be able to manage downward with your team and do it in such a way that people understand while their expectations might not be met, they will have a solution. It just might not be the one they're looking for. And who knows, it could end up being better than they could have imagined. That's been my experience. I had vision of what life would look like when I was younger and in developing a new philosophy over the years of just the next right action and focusing on what I can control, I mean, life has turned out much more beautiful than I could have imagined for myself. Absolutely. Uh, Maria, I want to get more into your current role. Before we do, we just like to ask favorite book, either that you've been reading currently or all time, your choice. It's not really a book, but it's a blog. People don't know this about me a lot, but I love cars and I love working through what's the car of the future. And I had an opportunity a while back to have a professional drive me in a NASCAR on a track and it was amazing. But then as I think through the cars, like how is our energy going to support cars in the future? And so my favorite thing right now is this Hydrogen Fuel News podcast or actually blog talks about how things are changing and how other countries, car manufacturers are looking at hydrogen as a potential energy source to power our lives and our transportation. And I find that fascinating and understanding 
can you have an internal combustion engine using hydrogen? And there are car companies that are looking at that. And that's something that I worry about for future generations. Like, how will we power our lives? Because every new generation uses more and more energy. And I think if we could solve that for our country and for our society, our future would be limitless. We could go anywhere, do anything once we solve that solution. So I'm hopeful that will be something that we can adopt here in America and have as, as an alternative to other energy sources. Super cool. I love that. So, Maria, you're the. CIO at OU Health. Can you describe your vision for IT and digital that you know is derived from the overall mission of the organization? You know, OU Health strives to be the destination for specialty care and being an academic medical center and the only one in our state. IT really has to help live up to that. And so my vision for IT here at OU Health is to not only be a world-class service delivery organization within the organization, but also to figure out how to empower the business operations, the operators, the leaders to solve their problems, their business problems using technical solutions. And that could be optimizing some of our existing systems, especially Epic, now that we've got that live here, we need to optimize that and make those investments worth it to the organization. And it's such a great product, and I think it's going to be so good for us. But we have to own that, and IT can help facilitate all of that within the organization. The other things I think that we can do is, from an IT perspective, is make sure that we understand and bring the patient's voice and experience into everything we do. As a patient myself here, as a user of the services, I want to have the best experience. And technology is now so pervasive in healthcare, in organizations, in our lives, that it needs to work seamlessly. That should not be a barrier to any of the missions and goals that the organization wants to achieve. So my vision is really to get us to the point where we are not that barrier. We are the enabler of the business organization of OU Health. What about some of the, are you able to share at a high level, whatever you and and the organization are comfortable with, but maybe some of the initiatives that roll up to that vision? One of the initiatives was what we had just gone through when I first joined. Epic is a stepping stone to that. And as part of that Epic implementation, we also had a little bit of a IT transformation that we underwent. We put in a new network in order to facilitate our Epic platform to run successfully. We implemented enterprise imaging systems as part of that transformation. We migrated off of HCA, which we were a part of for a very long time and very appreciative of the help that that we got to help us do that to become OU Health as an independent organization. We also integrated with the university and the clinics that were part of the university that came over and became OU Health helped us grow into OU Health. Those were the underlying initiatives that we just put into place. And I think some of the initiatives that we're looking at now is how do we get to that next level? How do we incorporate some of the things that are coming up through the industry, like generative AI, some of the wearables, like the Apple Watch? Can we use that to help us, help patients have a better experience with us? In general, it's really getting to that next level and taking advantage of some of the technologies that are coming up 
and implementing them in a way that helps us help the patients have a better experience and also better access to our services. It's funny that you brought up Apple. I was at it in Madison and I was having a conversation with a colleague this week about how at Health and Vive and like these tech conferences, even Hims, like you see Google and Amazon and you see some of these other players, but you don't see Apple. And it's very strange because I feel like one of these days, Apple is just going to hit the New York Times, like Apple takes over healthcare because they have all these pieces. It'll be really interesting, but I feel like they're sneakily going to like really make a huge impact in healthcare and they don't need to really like shout it. But what about your breaking off this OU Health, coming out of an epic rollout? What are some of the biggest challenges that you guys are facing as an organization right now? The healthcare industry has a lot of headwinds financially, resource constraints, both on the clinical side and the non-clinical side, even the IT side. There are so many things that those headwinds that we're facing, I would say that the way that we can address those challenges is actually take advantage of some of the technologies that are coming to fruition. When I was growing up, there was no such thing as a cell phone. There wasn't even such thing as a computer. When you think about where we are as a society, and my son will never know a world without those things. And I think if healthcare can harness those technologies and really figure out how to position them in a safe way within the environment to deliver care, I think that's really how you open up the future of healthcare and help stave off some of those headwinds that we really aren't going to get better. I think over time, I think it's all just going to be worse as people choose to leave the healthcare industry. People are retiring and there's not the same number of people that can fill in in the backup of them. How do we use technology to help us address that or at least minimize that? I think that's really those the challenges that we're facing can be mitigated by thinking through that very strategically. Yeah, I agree. I remember at Chime Fall Forum last year, they had brought up some McKinsey numbers about the physicians that would be retiring in the next five, 10 years and the rate of students applying to medical school to be like general practitioners and things of that nature. And it's scary. There's like a big gap there doing the things that you're saying. I think that in regard to AI, obviously leveraging generative AI in corresponding with patients on the front end or even throughout the the life cycle, there's a little bit of trepidation there as we kind of organization by organization figure out how to ensure that the data that model is using is controlled and how to set up rules to make sure that that generative AI isn't starting to talk about something inappropriate and things of that nature. But in the interim, right, like one of the cool things that we've been seeing lately is you talk about workforce capacity constraints, like how can I use large language models internal to the organization, right, where they're in a controlled manner to free up people's time, right? For example, a great use case is in the contact center for after call work and things of that nature, because those minutes add up very quickly and can quickly equate to 5, 10, 30, depending on the size, FTEs that now you have the ability to play with and reallocate resources. It should be really interesting. I'm really bullish on 
ultimately how it'll help serve healthcare institutions for sure. Absolutely. Using chatbots is a nice way to ease into it, especially on the service desk, as you describe. And um, a lot of individuals who are younger and have familiarity with technology actually want to do more of that. So the more you can do that in your environment, for those that want to use it, I think the better it will be and the more free the organization will become of the standard processes. And you can think a little bit more outside the box if you can free up some of the traditional way of doing things for something new and more adaptive to the way society is moving, that will allow you to really devote your time to working on some of those strategies that really need to happen to get the organization to move in its strategic direction. Yeah, 100%. And to do it well, in my experience, it starts with that integration with whatever the single source of truth is for the organization, which in your case, and in many cases, is epic. And it's going to be really interesting to see how the remodeling of these programs that they rolled out, the this and the friends and the pals, how that plays into how different technology companies can interact with epic. So it's a really exciting and interesting time. I think over the course of the next even like days, weeks, months, we're going to see some really cool stuff coming out. So I'm excited. A few more questions for you, Maria. What about, and we talked about some of this stuff before, but any best practices that you and your team follow that you might offer to some of maybe some of our other CIO listeners that might benefit? You do have some really unique experience. I'd be curious. One of the things I find to be very helpful for the IT team is to really follow the ITIL processes, which are the Information Technology International Library of Processes that help an IT organization just get their foundation in place. And they're tried and true. And I think that's really, really important. Layer that with some lean initiatives and really think about how can you bring either a Six Sigma or a lean mentality to the way you do your work and deliver your services. That actually has really helped our organization and the IT function within OU Health to improve. And doing that simultaneously with our implementation allowed us to get a little bit ahead of that curve for post-live. Those are great practical suggestions. I love that you brought up ITIL. A lot of our frameworks are actually built off ITIL best practices. It's funny. And then same thing with Lean and Six Sigma. Maria, what about any other innovative technologies. We started to dip our toe in the water with generative AI, but any other innovative technologies that you're really excited about that are maybe on the roadmap or that you're thinking of for the future that could serve to support the vision for OU Health? Yeah, this is a technology. I don't even know if it's a technology yet, but as I think through it, genomics is getting such a big play out there and it's more about the science behind it. But When you think about how technology can take genomics and actually help a patient or help a healthcare organization better manage a patient, having the markers that are identified by genomic testing in an individual and then saying, I'm not going to have that person get sick and have cancer because they have a cancer marker. How do I treat that patient so that they don't get that? The precision medicine and What are the technologies that help you get there? Is it the technologies that allow you to better run those tests to understand the markers? Or it's the technologies that you put in place for a patient who 
has discovered they have a marker for something? And is there a way to use technical solutions, monitoring tools, implants of some type to monitor how a patient is doing with respect to the specific markers they have? How does that patient build that relationship with healthcare provider to avoid making those markers become a reality? I think there's a bunch of technologies that support that, not just one, but to me, the solution and the technical support for the precision medicine and the genomics, I think that's actually the wave of the future and something I'd like to see OU Health really live into as we become more mature as an organization. Great answer to that question. I actually was actually going to ask you about where you saw the healthcare industry going in the future and what you thought would be some of the biggest changes as time passes. That kind of lends itself to that. Any other thoughts on the future of healthcare? I know you don't have a crystal ball. You mentioned the wearables. Any other thoughts on the future of healthcare? I think the future of healthcare is going to turn toward consumerism. And as consumers become more savvy, not just with technology, but with what healthcare can truly do and be for them, I think we're going to find that healthcare is going to become more retailish and cater to an individual that says, I have high blood pressure. I want to go over here and see if I can get a solution that helps me that maybe I don't take a pill for. And there might be technologies that have come in the future for something like that, where you avoid taking medicine for uh, different ailments. But consumerism and how that will drive healthcare organizations to mature, not only technically, but to mature in terms of the services they deliver, that actually is going to be a strong force in our future. Yeah, I would tend to agree. Leading out of this week, we're going to be talking with with CVS and Walmart too, which I think will be really interesting to see how, because they're obviously making a big push. But it's great to see that health systems are really taking the time because there's so many advantages that health systems have clinically, operationally, and otherwise, that if they can make those strides towards consumerism, you know, I think the future is really bright. I would agree with you there. Ray, this has been amazing. My final question for you would be, if you could go back five or 10 years in time, what advice would you give your younger self? If I could go back five or 10 years to give myself some advice, it's don't be afraid to stand up for what it is that you believe in and do the right thing. And really think through taking a risk because sometimes if you don't take that risk, you miss out on other opportunities with how the situation is or how you feel it's going to end up because sometimes you can be really surprised that taking that risk is the thing that define your moment better than not taking that risk ever could have. I would say take more risks and I would tell myself to not be afraid to stand up and tell it like it is. Love that. Maria, thank you so much for taking the time today. Again, it was such a pleasure to have you on. I really enjoyed our for having me. Absolutely. To our listeners, thank you for tuning in. We'll catch you all next week. Thank you for listening to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net.